From the city of Beaky Blinders, Birmingham, England, I would like to introduce you to Paddy Dandar. As the world becomes more automated and the robots take over, it's imperative that we build the right human skills for the future. So pull up a chair, grab a smoser or two, and make yourself very uncomfortable. Hey folks, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the Superpower School podcast. I'm your host, Paddy Danda, and today I have an awesome guest, somebody who is, and I'm looking down here because it sounds very fancy, a branding and positioning expert. And I'm going to ask him in a moment exactly what that means. I have the amazing Mark Drager on the show today. Hey, Mark, how are you doing? Paddy, I'm so happy to talk to you. And I know that you're in Birmingham because uh, we all know because it's the ho- what's what's the opening say right like the home of of the binders. binders. There you go. <laughs> but I was in Birmingham a few years ago for a conference. I was producing, and first of all, half of Birmingham is like the nicest people in the world. One guy that I was working with knew that I had to get to London and didn't know how, and he drove me. Took the time and he drove me into London. What? Paid the congestion fee, did all that stuff. Like he literally like just was like, oh, Mark, the trains and stuff. Don't worry about figuring it out. I'll drive you there. So that's half. And then in my experience, the other half, I don't understand a word you guys are talking about. <laughs> I was like, someone came up to me on the street and was like, I was like, pardon me? What? I, I what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, we're talking oh, that's tunes. That's to me. Yeah, we're talking tunes. It's like a trumpet kind of tune. So. <laughs> that's what it sounded like to me as a Canadian. I got it. I got it. No, and that's the amazing thing about the UK. Like, we're such a tiny, like, island, but you just go like an hour up the road and it's a completely different accent. And we just have these weird dialects all over the place. Super regional. Yeah. yeah. And it's funny because, again, I'm Canadian. And so I'm just outside of Toronto. We have a bit of a dialect, I suppose. But if you go, let's say I start to head west and I drive 48 hours <laughs> nonstop. I still wouldn't be at the other end of the country, yeah. which blows people's minds, especially if you're from Europe or the UK. But mostly our accent wouldn't change that much. But most yeah. people outside of Canada think we have a Newfoundland accent, which is that like, oot and a boot, and I'm going to go over here and do over there and all that stuff. So it's funny. We have one area with a bit of an accent. And otherwise, we all sound like however I sound now. Yeah. Well, don't get offended, but I really find it difficult to tell Americans and Canadians apart from the accent. I know the that's probably what the world does. The entire yeah, right. world. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's why whenever we travel, we're... Listen, like I spend a lot of time in America. I have a lot of American friends. I really actually like certain parts of America. For all my American friends listening, certain parts of your culture, certain parts of everything. I really love. The people are super nice. But when Canadians travel, we almost sound obnoxious because we want everyone to know we're Canadian. Like, <laughs> oh, and we get that like that like American. And we're like, no, I'm actually Canadian. I'm just and they're they lighten up, they invite you into their homes, <laughs> they feed you dinner. Like, it's so bizarre. You're so right. I have that feeling as well. I love Canada. I like America too. I do. But I like Canada more. I'm going to put it out there. That's the truth. It's the truth. Because we're part of the Commonwealth, right? We share, like, we share, uh, I was going to say queen. Oh, my apologies. We share a a monarchy, all of that stuff, right? You share a king now, don't you? King. I got to get used to that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm finding that difficult. Yeah. But anyway. Right. We should really move on into the episode, shouldn't we? We've been talking about. Lots of accents and but things. It's funny because yeah. actually what we're talking about is identity. Yeah. Like we're talking about identity. We're talking about, you mentioned that, that, that regionally you can go from kind of town to town, village to village, and yet little things change. 
that those accents, those identifiers, those things that tell us whether we're on the inside or the outside, whether you're one of us or not. I'm talking about being Canadian versus being American. This is all identity. And earlier you said like, hey, you're a branding and positioning expert. That's all the same thing, right? Like this is what we're talking about. What type of language do we use? How do we appear? How do we show people that you're one of us or how do we push other people away? At the end of the day, the work that I do helping entrepreneurs or coaches or consultants and their companies to be able to sell more, be able to grow their audience, make them look amazing, create amazing content, all of that stuff at the end of the day just comes down to exactly what we're speaking about, which is how do you look? What do you say? And how do you make people feel in order to influence them or persuade them? And so much of that comes to like, don't worry, you're one of us, or don't worry, we can help you, or don't worry, you can trust me, or don't worry, I know what I'm talking about, or whatever it is. And so even though we started talking about Birmingham and accents, it's actually on page with what we do, what I do all day, every day. Yeah, no, absolutely. I totally agree. And could you tell us, Mark, from your experience, why is branding positioning so important in today's age? Because it feels like we're living in an age of everybody is very conscious about their image. We just see on Instagram, everybody wants to have a good picture. I see people taking selfies and they'll go, ah, no, I'll do that again. I'll do that again. And it has to be right because they know it's going to go on Instagram. They know a bunch of people are going to see it. So why is this so important? Yeah. First, I'm going to answer that question. It's an amazing question and one we all need to think about, especially in the world today, right? The world is more competitive than it's ever been. And I have lots of data to prove why that's so. Everybody judges a book by its cover. And if anyone tells you otherwise, they're lying. Perception is truth. How people perceive you, their first idea of you, their perception, whether it's true or not, it's truth. Because if they decide, if you think that I'm a fast-talking, crazy, shyster of a jerk, it doesn't matter that I'm a father of four, that, that I've been with my wife for 22 years, I've run a company for 16 years, I think I'm a good man, I think I'm honorable. Like None of that matters if you think that I'm a jerk. I'm a jerk because you're never going to take the time to go any further. So there's some real hard truths that we have to face here. But before we get into any of that stuff, I just want to clarify that most people think of brand as a color or logos or design or font. And each one of those things make up a brand, but they're not a brand. Other people think of like branding as like Coca-Cola or Pepsi or McDonald's or Tesla or something like creating Super Bowl commercials. Or running a quote-unquote like branding advertising campaign, right? If you're a business owner or if you're, or if you're an entrepreneur or a salesperson where we're just going to go ahead and dump money into more people knowing who we are. That's not what I'm talking about when I talk about branding. I talk about how do we create, how do we proactively decide how we want to show up and connect with people, right? That to me is what a brand is. A brand is reputation. A brand is how you feel. A brand is what you say. A brand is your consistency. A brand is a lot of things. But for me, what we do is we try to turn it into basically a sales tool or a growth tool for you. So you can proactively decide which version of you shows up to a given situation, right? Like like my brother is getting married tomorrow. And for anyone who's been a part of a wedding party or part of gotten married themselves, are you married, Patty? I am. Yeah, I've got a, a whole story on that. I'll share that in a moment. But yes, okay. definitely. Married. So you got a story on that. So let me ask you, let's say when you're doing your stag do, you know, and you're hitting the down in Birmingham and all that stuff, and you're doing your stag do with a bunch of mates. I imagine that your stag is going to be your bachelor party 
is going to be a lot of fun, right? If this was a Hollywood movie, <laughs> there would be like music pumping. There would be like women inappropriately taking their clothes off. Like if this was a movie, that's how it would be. Maybe yours a little bit tamer than that, but still, you're right. Yeah, mine was very different. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Maybe you guys are having a chess match or something. For me, we went to like an all-you-can-eat buffet and then went to a club and just, or a pub and just whatever. I, that That's a version of you, right? Like, and no one would argue with you. That's not you. Or you're there with your mates and you're having fun. And then, so my brother's bachelor party, everybody's out having fun. Well, tomorrow, let me tell you at the church, <laughs> when all of our all of the in-laws are there, when the grandparents are there, when the pastor's there, when we're all standing in our suits, very different version of us is going to show up, right? Mm. But no one would argue that's also not us, right? That's also us. But we're not showing up leery-eyed and over high, like like swearing in front of people and saying, hey, grandma, and making inappropriate jokes like we may with our friends. So on one end of the spectrum is this crazy fun version of us. And on the other end of the spectrum is the one where we want to be pretty respectful. And no one would argue that those aren't also us. But yet, when it comes to branding or sales or marketing, when it comes to advertising, we somehow think that there's like a single version of us that needs to show up, a single message. Or we might say, listen, people, this is the authentic me. If you like me, awesome. If you don't like me, take a hike. And that's no way to sell to people. That's no way to influence them. That's no way to persuade them. So what we do in our process and what I, what, the way we think of branding is we think of how can you pick which version of you needs to show up. And the way to do that is to, is to say, what do I want to accomplish? So what's my goal? Who do I need to work with or influence or persuade, whether it's prospects or customers, or maybe you're trying to recruit more talent or bring on partners or get more money? Maybe you're in school and you're, you're trying to make inroads with a professor because they're going to help guide you or mentor you. Maybe this is someone you're dating, you see across the courtyard and you think pretty interesting. Whomever it is that you're looking to make a connection with, doesn't it make sense to find out who they are and what they want and what they care about or what they fear, what the challenges they have? Like, Doesn't it make sense to figure out more about them and then decide how you need to show up, right? Yeah. A lot of us are spending time saying, me, this is what I know. This is who I am. This is my approach. This is me. And then they go like, who wants it? We flip that on its head. We say, well, what do you want to do? And then who do you want to do that with or connect with? And then we figure out what they want. And this is like the crazy, like politicians figured this out long ago. I don't know why people in business don't realize this. Like politicians get accused of flip-flopping and saying whatever people want and going with the wind and all of this stuff and never taking a stand. Why is that? Because they want to get elected again. Because at the end of the day, on election day, they want to be the person standing there saying, I won. Now, I don't want you to become a politician. I don't want you to become a liar. I don't want you to become a fraud. But you could still move a little bit further away from the principled stand of like never making things happen. I want you to sell more. I want you to make more connections. I want you to influence more people. I want you to grow your audience. I want, you to, I want to take you to the next level. And the way to do that is to really get clear on what you want, who you're speaking to, show up the way they need you to show up. And then lastly, look at your competition or the market and look at what everyone else is doing and figure out, can you do it better than them or can you do it differently than them? If you follow those steps, what you want, 
who it is you want to speak to and understand what they care about and then do it better than your competition or in a way that's different than your competition, you literally, it's the simplest connect the dots approach to create something that's totally different, totally unique and totally effective. So here's a really basic question, Mark, and I'm sure you're going to give me a really good answer on this one. But if it's that simple, why are people coming to you? <laughs> because it takes, it takes two things. It, it's easier with an outsider perspective. If you've ever given your friends relationship advice, but then struggled in your own relationship, you understand what I'm talking about. I have done this, uh, I mean, hundreds of times, but we've been, doing, we've been doing this work for 16 years. We've used this process to produce over $13 million in creative content. We have done this time and time again for some of the biggest brands. We've worked with NBA teams and we've done national television commercial campaigns. And we've worked with like solopreneurs, pre-startup, haven't sold a single thing yet, trying to figure out what to do next. So like the whole spectrum. And when I'm sitting across from you, like, Patty, if we wanted to work through this, I would like, it would be so clear to me what you need to do and what the next steps are and how things reveal yourself. But for myself, I'm going to be honest with you, like, I wish someone came along and did this for me. <laughs> it's so hard without that third party perspective to be able to get the clarity you need to see what's really important and what's not important. So that's first. And then second, most people don't realize how much work it takes. If anyone's ever been into, like, uh, let's say therapy, Right. Let's say you're having a challenge or a problem. I have went and saw a therapist a few years ago because I was working through constant, like this constant fear, this constant worry, all of panic attacks, all this stuff. And then they were like, Oh, you have anxiety. And I was like, No, I know I'm anxious. And they're like, Oh, Mark, you're not anxious. Like, like you have GAD, you have generalized anxiety disorder. You have an actual like mental health disorder. And I was like, oh, Okay. But that took me like weeks and weeks of like meeting with them and talking with them and filling in this thing and filling in that thing. And like, I was like, this is so slow and this takes so long. And why do we have like, just give me the answer already. So the second reason most people don't do it. And, uh, and I think this is amazing that most people don't do it. They're so focused on short-term results. They're so like, ask, they keep asking me like, should I be on TikTok? Should we do advertising? What should we do for the IG? How, what should our YouTube thumbnails tactic? Everyone's so focused on tactic. They're so focused on short-term results. They're so focused on where can I put a tiny bit of money and then immediately get rich. The amazing thing is if you take the time to do this and dig deep, because no one else is doing this, it levels you up like head and shoulders above the crowd. It's weird how you could put in the time, like I could put in the time to therapy and get the answer I want. Or I can do all these short-term things. Should I, should I get up at 4.30 a.m.? Should I walk more? Should I have sunlight? Like I could do all these like biohacks to try and do it. Or I can put in the weeks it takes to figure out what's actually the challenge and then put in the work it takes to actually build something that will last a very long time. That is the same thing with your marketing, with your branding, with whatever it is you're doing. And then, so the first one, again, is that you don't have the perspective. The second is that most people won't do it. So when we start to introduce these concepts to people, they go like, oh, you're right. I should dig that deep. Oh my goodness. This just... This just blew my mind. I wasn't even thinking that way. So it introduces all these new things. And then the last reason is the thing that I touched on. Everybody's short, focused on short-term tactics, right? Everyone would rather do like, if I'm going to spend the money on it, I want results within three months. I want those results in, in, in 60 days. I want to know that I'm going to get a guaranteed ROI on something and I want zero risk and I want zero things to go wrong. Like you and I were talking about podcasts before and how long it takes to grow an audience and grow a podcast. If you want to launch a podcast and you want to see results in 90 days, you're going to be, you've been doing this, man. You're going to be disappointed, right? 
Oh, yeah. I, I The funny thing there, Mark, is I sometimes reach out to guests and not every guest says yes. Not every guest is as nice as you who says, hey, Paddy, yeah, of course, I'm going to come along and we're going to have a conversation. Many of them will ignore my messages. That's fine. I get everybody's busy. But then the odd few will come back and say, how many followers do you have? How many listeners do you have? How many downloads have you had? And straight away, I know no matter what I say now, I'm done because I don't have the audience they're looking for. And so rather than giving them a number, I just say, I don't have many. I've, I don't have many people. I do because I'm passionate about this. And I hope you're passionate about what you talk about. And that's why I want you to come on the podcast. And then most of them don't, right? And that's okay. But yeah, it's never been about the numbers. It's never been about the numbers. So It's I, not for you, but it is for them, unless you give them another reason to come on. Yeah. Oh, help me out then. Come on, Mark. Let's do this. Let's do this. Come on. Give me some advice then. Let's have a, let's have a branding conversation. Okay. Well, I mean, this is, has to part to do with brand, but it's more about perception, right? Right. So, so like I'm a, I'm a branding and positioning expert, right? So now let's get into the positioning side of things. Yeah. So you always, I, I was speaking to a thought leader who's in London and he's a younger guy. And I was like noticing that he was very optimistic and very hopeful. And he reached out to me because I had him on the podcast and he said, hey, I'd love it if you introduce me to people. And I said, great, who? Like you you said, introduce me to people. (laughs) Give me more to work with. Who do you want me to introduce you to? And why am I reaching out to them? What value do you add to them? And how will you help their audience? Because frankly, you're a nobody. I don't mean to be rude or to be mean. I'm not saying he's an amazing person with amazing skill set, with an amazing gift, but in the eyes of like hard numbers, in the eyes of like exposure, following, like these types of things, you're a nobody, right? So give me a really good reason. And he's like, I've got a great message and I want to serve. <laughs> okay, cool. But let's consider this, right? Like, so if you look up and look down, look up and look down. I was, uh, so, so I'm a podcaster. I have a podcast, We Do Hard Things. My third podcast, I'm seven years into this. I've been doing We Do Hard Things for two years. I've spent a lot of time around people who are way ahead of me. You know, like I, I have people on my podcast who have millions of followers. I was at, in May, I was at helping out behind the scenes at Ed Milet's book launch. I don't know if people know Ed Milet or not, but he's a, a big name. He has a podcast. Andy Fursell is one of his partners from MFC Yo and like, these guys have some big followings, like a big enough followings that the day of his book launch, he had six, 500 people in the room and I think 20,000 people tuning in live for this day of book launch. So like some pretty big numbers and I'm behind the scenes and I'm in the green room and I'm there with Dean Graziosi's there and Jim Quick is there and Marie Forleo and Jenna Kutchner and Ed Milet and Mel Robbins is Skyping in and like all of the names, all of Ed's friends' names. And it's like, and I'm there helping out behind the scenes. But but frankly, like I'm only in the room because I'm like volunteering my time and helping out. So they are like way above me. And if I spend all my time hanging out with people way above me, first of all, that's cool. I learn a lot, right? They pull me up. I can't compare myself to people way above me, right? And frankly, if I was like, hey, Ed, have me on your podcast, he's way above me. There's, like, there's no real good reason for him to have me on. I'd have you on. I'd have you on my podcast any day. (laughs) Well, and that's cool. But here's where I'm going with this. We've got to be a little realistic. I appreciate you having me on your podcast, but (laughs) we're not on that level in terms of just pure exposure, pure experience, pure following these hard numbers. Yeah. Cool. So now who's on my level? Let's look around, right? So, So I have a lot of people on my podcast who are above me, 
And I have some people on my podcast who are at the level I'm at. And for, frankly, I gate it where I don't typically have people who are down below me unless if they have an incredibly unique experience or what have you. Because here's the thing, right? So the people above me are above me. The people on my level, I can easily ask because there's an equal value exchange. And the people below me, it's very easy to bring them on because I'm giving them a great platform. So when you're reaching out to people in your podcast, your guests, or who you want, if it's purely based on the number of years of experience or exposure, you're most likely going to be bringing people on who are peers, and then you might do a podcast exchange or you're peer-to-peer, and that's cool, or people below you. If you want people above you to come on, you have to give them a really good reason. And the simplest way that people look at it is like, I'm going to use number of downloads. I'm going to use number of followers as the benchmark. Because if you have a lot of downloads or followers, you must have been doing this a while. You must be serious. You must have an audience. You must do something that's not going to embarrass me or look bad. Right? Like they just use that as the like, I can trust this person. I know they're legit. I know it's worth my time. Out of all of the things I could be focusing on, I'm going to give you half an hour of my time. It's actually not typically about the exposure. It's not like they're like, I really, I really need to make sure if I'm giving 30 minutes to it, 100,000 people are going to hear my voice. That's not it. It's more, they're so concerned with either wasting their time completely or being embarrassed that they use these metrics to prove that you're legitimate. So here's the thing. My podcast, two years in, does not have the strongest numbers in the world, but we get really big guests on. We get a lot of those people looking up and that's because I spent time trying to figure out what could I do? What could I create with my show? What could I create with my podcast? What can I do? And I own a creative agency. I own a branding company. I own a positioning company. I've been in this industry for 16 years. I have a lot of resources and a lot of high standards at my disposal. And so I wanted, what I wanted to do, though, is I wanted to create a really high perceived value. So this goes back to me running my system. What do I want? I want more listeners and more audience and all that stuff for sure. But actually what I want is amazing conversations with amazing people who are above me, right? That's my goal. Great. Who do I want to persuade? Those people who are above me. So I got to figure out what do they care about? What do they want? What, like, what do they desire? And then I look at the competition of the market to say, well, what are other people doing or not doing? And in this case, they're looking at downloads. They're looking at all these metrics. They're looking at all these things. And so I ask myself, what do I need? What do I need to say? How, what do I need to look like? How do I need to make people feel? And for my growth strategy, and it's worked well for me, is rather than focus on the numbers, flip the script, change the conversation. Nobody asks us what our download numbers are because that's not the pitch. The pitch is one, Mark is a really good host and you're going to have an amazing conversation. Okay, wow, I better live up to that. Like, I, I better get better. And if you go back and watch my early episodes... Even though I was five years into podcasting, I was not as good as I am today. And hopefully in a year or two, I'm going to be even better. But one, it's like, you won't be wasting your time because out of this, you're going to have a really amazing, thoughtful, challenging conversation with someone who is very good. So that's pitch number one. And number two, we completely over-deliver on assets. We create like, we go, one, we want our YouTube show, which is our main show, and then we release audio, but we want it to look and feel like, like, a, like an ESPN television show. Like we go, we have like, it's so well cut and it's so impressive and it's so tight. And we spend so much time trying to make people who come on look amazing, which is our value proposition. At my agency, it's like, we make you look good. At the end of the day, people pay us to make them look good. So you come on our show, we're going to make you look really good as well. And we're going to give you these assets. Now, 
if the person's above me, they love the conversation, that's cool. The assets, eh, they're above me. They have a lot of people offering a lot of assets and that's fine. But the last one that we really, and the people beside me or the people below me, this is like over the top, right? If you're beside me or below me, the fact it's a great conversation, the fact that we're giving you all of these amazing assets, that's awesome. But for the last, for the people above me, we will do things like we'll guarantee viewer numbers, right? So we'll start an advertising campaign and we'll specifically spend money on advertising to guarantee a certain amount of exposure for someone if that's really important to them. So far, we haven't had to make a guarantee yet in 100 guests, but we're willing to, and we've had some discussions on it. And, and then the last thing is really, it's just like, I don't know if there is, now that I'm talking this out, I don't know if there is even a last thing other than the combination of amazing assets. You're going to have a great time. You're going to have a great conversation. And I've had people, I've had really big names, people who are way above me, actually, after the interview, ask if they can have the raw footage for their team because it was such an interesting or unique conversation that, that I got them to say things or think of things or consider things that they haven't done in any other form. And they're like, I need to like pull out these things and share it with my team, or I need to take this thing and go ahead and spread it with the world. And when I hit that, it's just like, there's, a, there's an exchange of value here, right? Like I've just done something for you that other people haven't. And then we take that and then we got to convince the next person that we're capable of that. And then the next person, you slowly stack your way up. So, so this was my approach, but this approach only came from me going, okay, I can't compete on numbers. I can't compete on downloads. I can't compete on experience. I can't compete on exposure. What can I give them? Go back to my goals, go back to what they care about, and then figure out a plan and then go all in on that. That essentially is what we do to help people because every business is different. Every entrepreneur is different. Every opportunity is different. Every challenge is different. And we need to like run this strategy to figure out, okay, how are we going to win so we can go all in on something? Oh, that's fascinating. I'm mentally taking notes here. So thank you for sharing that. <laughs> you can <because> listen back. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, there you go. But uh, well, let me I ask think... you. So like what, like, what do you want? Like, what do you want? And who do you want? Who do you want to connect with? And how are you going to do that's differently? Yeah. Well, my answer is probably going to sound rubbish right now because I haven't thought about it as deeply as I maybe should. But what do I want or who do I want? I think, I mean, one of the reasons I started the podcast was partly for myself. All right. I'm going to be selfish. Oh, yeah. Every every podcast. I started the podcast for myself, too. Every podcaster starts, every artist creates for themselves first. Right. Every entrepreneur fills the gap that they see because they wish someone else had made what they want. Like, like if do not feel selfish for creating things for yourself, because that is how success actually comes. Right. Because I'm not the biggest reader in the world. I mean, I was showing you the book that I'm reading at the moment, which, you know, is this, and it's pretty thick. Now I'm not the best reader in the world. So I would have much preferred to get that author on my podcast, <laughs> just get him to tell me about the book. No, but in a, on a serious note, I use it as a way of learning for myself because a lot of the work I do by day is training, coaching. And I just find by talking to lots of diverse people who are, have come from lots of different backgrounds, it really helps me in terms of accelerating my learning. If anything, it creates a lot of curiosity for me to then say, ah, that's an area I would love to delve into more. So that's part of it. But then the other thing is, again, going back to purpose, I've got two young kids. My daughter's 13, my son is 10, and they're starting to ask about, well, dad, what should I be when I grow up? What do you think? Or 
they'll tell me what they want to be. And I'm like, oh, not quite sure if that thing's going to be around or I, I don't know how to advise them because the world is changing so fast. So there's an element of me thinking, well, my daughter's always talking about creativity. She loves creativity. And she goes, Dad, I don't want to work with computers. I don't like computers. And I know there's lots of people out there that like that. So part of the reason for the podcast was imagine as my kids are growing up and people of their generation are growing up, those that don't want to get into tech, how can I help them? And that's why a lot of the focus for the podcast is about human skills for the future, as opposed to tech skills, because plenty of other people do tech skills. They do it way better than I do. But I like to really focus on that human element, because I think a lot of people out there are feeling like a little afraid of the future. I don't know if my yeah. job's going to last because the yeah. robots are going to take over. I'm I listen, I as someone with I mentioned earlier I have anxiety. Mm -hmm. Anxiety is literally nothing more than an over overblown fear of the future. So I live a lot of my life in my head. I live a lot of my life in the future. I'm afraid of a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And so I think there are things that we need to be concerned with, but at the same time, they're so far outside of your control. Things have changed so much and will continue to change faster and faster. I had someone on my podcast, a Jen Lim, who is the CEO and co-founder of a company called Beyond Happiness. I don't know if you're delivering happiness, this book by, by Tony Shea, the founder of Zappos. Oh, uh, right. The late Tony Absolutely. Shea. So they became business partners after delivering happiness. They started this consulting firm beyond happiness. And when I had her on, she introduced this really interesting idea to me, right? So first we were in agrarian culture and then we moved into the industrial age. And then we moved into, I don't know, whatever came next, but eventually, I don't know, I don't know all the ages. We hit a space age. We hit a computer age. We hit an inf we hit the, like the IT age. We hit an info age, and she believes uh, that we're in the age of adaptation. And I think there's a certain amount of truth to that because one, you have we have no I even futurists or whatever, right? Especially futurists, but but there's a lot of scientific research that goes into we as people always see the future as a slightly different version of the present. And even the greatest futurists are incapable of seeing the future for what it is because we just don't know. You go back mm -hmm. to the 50s, what did people think that the future was going to be like flying cars and all this stuff? Cool. But it was basically just a slightly different version of people in the 50s because there was still, there was still the modern home, right? In 2020, they didn't picture that women would be in the workplace. They didn't picture that minorities would be able to have all of these civil rights breakthroughs. They didn't picture the wars that were going to take place or that computers would be in our world. Like, what they pictured was what they could conceive of and a slightly different version of the current version of society. Yeah. So what you're worried about and what you're watching and what we're all thinking about is a slightly different version of what we imagine like today to be or tomorrow to be. It's going to be so different. We cannot comprehend what it will be like, but here's what we can do. We know that there are certain, certain characteristics or skill sets that are always going to serve us. Hard work and learning how to work hard will always serve you sacrifice. So choosing not to indulge or give in now in order to put it off for tomorrow will always serve and help you. Well, what are some other characteristics of people? Curiosity will always serve you. Um, being willing to ask for help will always serve you. Being able to explain or write, share your ideas in a way that other people understand, right? So, so I have kids. I've got four kids ranging from 16 down to eight. And my wife is pretty traditional like she's pretty worried like oh my goodness they struggle with math or they struggle with reading or they struggle with this or they're succeeding in these areas or those non-areas but they're all like these very traditional type of metrics and and here's what i care about like do they have 
a kind heart, right? Do they have empathy for another person? Are they willing to work hard? Are they willing to sacrifice? Are they willing to do those things? Those are my values that, that are important to me. Are they truthful? And are they loyal, right? Like, again, my values that are important to me, so I want my kids to have those values as well. But I do know that if I look back over my entire career, all of my breakthroughs were based on my character, not strategies or tactics. I'm going to say that again. All of my breakthroughs, all of my wins, everything that really succeeded came from my character, not strategies or tactics. Hi, folks. Sorry for the quick interruption. But before we continue with this awesome episode, I have a huge favor to ask. If you're enjoying these conversations and you're finding it's giving you value in your daily challenges, then I'd be extremely grateful if you could leave a short review and subscribe to whichever platform you're either watching or listening to this episode on. That's it. Let's get back into the episode. Fascinating. So it's those internal values that you mentioned there that have helped you win, I guess, in terms of the direction that you've gone. I I guess so. I can recall when I was graduating film school, there was this guy who was in our editing lab who was like struggling to do stuff. He was there a few days. I was there a few days. I don't even remember how it happened, but I was like, are you okay, man? Like he was like struggling. He's like, I'm a a previous graduate. I don't know how to edit. I don't have a computer. I'm trying to do this thing. I was like, do you want some help? And at the time, I was just looking for opportunities to just help people. I just needed projects. I just I would help people with anything. So I helped him for free. It took me a few hours of my time or whatever. I helped him out. What I didn't realize is that helping that guy out, Marcel, a few weeks later, he's like, hey, I think we can do something. I think we can work together. I think that, and I was like, oh, okay, I put it off or whatever. But he, we stayed in touch and he was leaving the company he was at and he offered me his job. He thought like, hey, Mark, um, I think this is a great job for you. I want to help you out, right? You help me out. I'm going to, I'm quitting my company, but if I go to the company and say, Hey, I found a replacement for me, it'll make everything a lot easier and I won't burn bridges. Okay. So I took that job, hated the job. It was there like seven or eight months, hated it, hated it. It was miserable. It was depressed. It was terrible. But I admitted to my manager, my direct manager that I didn't like the job and I felt stuck. That manager. So this is back to like the truthfulness and asking for help, which are values of mine. That manager went onto the job boards. This is back in 2004, 2005. Went onto the job boards, found a job that he thought I would be a good fit for, and then encouraged me to apply for it and helped me write my resume. I got that job. I don't know how I got that job. I fast-talked it. I don't know. I don't know how I got it, but I got that job. And what the person who hired me told me was that I was not the most qualified candidate. There were three people who were way more qualified than me. But what he saw in me was a desire to work hard, I was very truthful. I, they thought that I would be a good fit culturally. And so I got that job. And I was there for a year and a half. And I approached the CEO about this idea I had of leaving their company, starting my own company, and then them outsourcing the work for me so I'd have my first client. That's how I started my creative agency, 2006. That CEO believed in me, right? He's like, you know what? This is a good idea. I'm going to take you off my books. I'm going to give you this stuff. We can some, I gave him a business reason. And then he mentored me for the next few years. Help me through some hard times. I have so many lessons. As an entrepreneur, you learn so many lessons time after time. But if I were to take the time to think back or write a memoir and go through all of the wins that I have, none of them are the strategies. None of them are the tactics. None of them are like me trying to engineer things. A lot of stuff just like, quote unquote, like fell in my lap. 
right? They mm. say like the harder you work, the luckier you are. Another way to think of that is like these things are just coming to me, right? It's, it's the universe or it's God or it's like what? It's because of your character, right? And you don't have to have the same values I have. But if you know what those values are and you lean into it and you share it and you give and you put it out into the world, this comes back to positioning, this comes back to brand strategy, this comes back to how companies should be run. They should be focused on these values. You will recruit people easier. You will have less turnover. You will be able to attract through word of mouth clients at a lower cost of acquisition. You'll be able to maintain them for longer. You'll be able to move up your pricing. Like There's so many business benefits, but it all comes from you just focusing on the character. And anyone who's listening, and for you and your kids, and for me and my kids, and for all the generations to come, if we focus on that, we don't have to worry about the role or the career path or the changes in the economy because we can just pick up our skill sets, our tools, our character, and we can just move on from thing to thing, which is so different than our parents' generation. It's so different from our grandparents' generation, but this is the world we live in. We now live in the age of adaptation. Oh, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that sort of authenticity in a person comes out because sometimes you can learn these tactics, these strategies, and even those, unless you're authentic, just won't work because people want to connect with you at a deeper level. I had another question there, Mark. So moving swiftly on back to the branding and positioning. I know a lot of people that are in my network who would probably be listening to this podcast are independent consultants or independent coaches, etc. Could you give me an example of one or two of your clients where you've had to help individuals that are in that position and what were some of the results that you were able to achieve because i'd love to give people a little bit of inspiration out there because a lot of the time you're on your own it's real hard yeah Yeah. it's real hard work right trying to make any impact on social media trying to grow your business so what are some of the successes that you've seen so this is 100 where we focus within the agency within phantom media uh 100 where we focus entrepreneurs coaches, consultants, and then their companies, right? Because sometimes they have sub-brands, sometimes they have products or they're in, they're, they might be an info or, D, or direct to consumer or B2B. But in this space, this is what we help. And what I like to say is like, if at the end of the day, your growth, your success, your revenue, your money is on your shoulders and you're not growing fast enough or seeing the results you want, you have to level up. You have to level up. So the first thing is deciding that you're worth it, that you're going to make the investment of time, you're going to make the investment of money, that you're ready to do so. Like and you have to realize that you're not stuck. <laughs> so most of us get so overwhelmed with the tactics that we get stuck. And it's just like, how can we like, great, there's another social platform. And now I have to like, and now there was an algorithm change. And now there was this, and now there was that. And it, everything, it becomes overwhelming. Now you ask for some like results that people get. Um, there's two ways that we drive the maximum results. And this is really important to consider. So First of all, every single thing we do, every engagement, every piece of content we produce, every funnel or email campaign or video or whatever it is we're making, the brand we're making, every single one is custom and different. And it comes down to that like really specific objective of what you want. And so like, here's a perfect example. We had, I had an, an entrepreneur friend who has a relationship out of a R&D group in China. And he has the rights, he has like first rights to take any of their IP, so their products whatever it is they design or whatever it is that they build. And he has the North American market. 
So, so he doesn't have to worry about developing anything or making anything or manufacturing anything. All he does is he licenses their stuff and then he's responsible for marketing sales and growing it in the market. When he came to us, he said, hey, we have this really cool automated garbage can, like a household waste bin. And it's automated. So it knows when it's full. It literally, like, it literally cuts the seal of the bag, closes the bag up so you don't have to worry about anything, pulls a new bag down and changes itself and it opens up the lid. And then when you take the garbage out, it just closes itself back up again. Really cool. They did this campaign in, the, in China. It was like super successful. And so we have, like when he comes to me, he says, great, Mark, like we now need to take this to the North American market. And so if we were doing this the old fashioned way, it'd be like, well, how do we sell a garbage can? But by us going through our process, what I asked him was, okay, so let's look at your next year, two years, three years. Let's look at your business plan. Like what will, what is success look like and what is growth based on and what's most important for us to achieve? And he said, as part of his business plan, he really wanted to get this in Costco and Walmart and Target in the U.S. Okay, so what do we need to do to get that? He said, I need to sell 30,000 units direct to consumer. If I can sell 30,000 units direct to consumer, I can prove that there's a market for this. And if I can prove there's a market, then I can get the distribution I need. Okay. How fast do we have to do that? 18 months. Okay. So just by clarifying that like, I need to sell this way to these people in this amount of time so that way I can go off and do the next thing already helps us focus our entire strategy as opposed to when he came to me and it's like, I got to sell some garbage cans. <laughs> right? Like I'm thinking like, oh, we got like Amazon and we got all these things and like, how do we sell some garbage cans? You know, it's not about how do we sell some garbage cans. It's how do we do a direct-to-consumer campaign. And then we can start to ask other questions like, do you have to be profitable? If your main goal is to get this into Costco, Target, and Walmart, do we have to be profitable? Can we buy our way to those 30,000 units being sold? Right? Can we offer them at a huge discount just to hit that mark so that way we can prove that we sold 30,000, but maybe we gave 30,000 away? Right? Like, We can get crafty with this if we know what the milestone is. And so we went through this whole process and here's another discovery that we had, right? So, so great. We have this garbage can. It's a smaller unit. As we start to deep dive into the world of garbage cans, I don't know if waste, waste bins, I don't know if you've ever deep dived into it, but in, in North America, people like really big ones, like big tall ones, because they only want to change them like once a week. They don't want to take out the garbage every day. I didn't know that. And so we had a smaller can and we were thinking like a smaller can would be perfect for like apartments and for like, um, condos and for like student housing and like all of these small spaces, small garbage can. And then we found out, well, small spaces, small garbage cans, most of them have garbage chutes in the building or people are used to taking out their garbage every day because they have a garbage chute and they're used to taking out their garbage every day. Yeah. Small garbage can is great, but they don't need an automated one, right? Like they're just so used to like half the people in small spaces don't even have garbage cans. They just use a bag and like hang it on. Oh, our very market that we thought we were going to go after doesn't even want our product. Huh. Okay, so then we have, well, we have other people. We have people who live in suburban homes. The people with the two, the two garages and the two cars and the three kids and all of these people. We have people who live out in the country in rural areas or small towns or villages. Right. We have different ages. We have composting versus garbage. We have diaper diapers for new moms. versus like. So we're looking at all these different ways. Who do we sell this garbage can to? Turns out people in the country, they don't recycle. They don't, they have these huge pickups. They don't even care about this stuff. Can't sell to them. Oh, okay. I thought we could sell to anyone. So by going through this process, one, it's like he was super clear in terms of what we wanted to achieve, which helped us focus how we were going to sell this. 
Then when we start to get into the customer research, super revealed to us like all the things we thought we could don't even matter. We can't even win these people over. They're nice to haves. So, okay, maybe we can do a campaign on September for people moving into dorms because this is a really cool product and students, frankly, like cool things. So we can run one campaign that way. But the apartments and the condos and the old age living and the different types of houses and the rural areas, like, oh, suburban people. Cool. Like, we have to get really specific with these things because now that we're super specific, it's not that you, you don't have to worry about spending un, like unlimited amounts of money on unlimited amounts of platforms, testing who will buy and why they will buy and all this stuff. We're like now going after two groups. We can look at the suburban household. We were able to determine that men in most cases actually buy garbage cans over women, but that women are the ones who pick them. Like, how do you find this stuff? This is what we do. Great. So now we need to sell garbage cans to people in suburban areas, attracting men at first, but being as aesthetically pleasing enough to get the women to want to buy it. (laughs) And then you look at competitors. What do they charge and what do they do and how do they advertise? And now we can figure out how to do this in a way that's different than them. So just in terms of a go-to-market strategy, in terms of a consultant, in terms of coach or anyone who's listening to this, if you think what I just described seems like complete overkill or a lot of work, it is a lot of work, but it's not overkill. Because as I go back to my original comment, most people don't do this. Most people won't spend the time. They won't spend the effort. What they're going to do is they're going to play with a bunch of things and never go all in. They're never going to push all the chips in on something. And because they won't go all in on something, they don't have enough momentum and budget and money and focus on it to get it to actually work. So they're going to spread themselves super thin. They're going to try a bunch of different things. Nothing is going to work. They're going to waste a lot of time and money. They're going to blame those things for not working, but really they just haven't crossed that threshold of how aggressive you need to get to make something work. And then they're going to continue to look for the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. The advice I have, I mean, I can teach you this process. We have a download. You can call us. You can, I can answer questions. You can work with me, whatever you want. But all I suggest is that more than any of that, spend time getting crystal clear on what your plan is, your goals are, your objectives what makes you different, all of those things. Like get crystal clear because getting crystal clear will narrow the number of people that you need to speak to. When you narrow the number of people you need to speak to, you don't have to put budget everywhere and you don't have to do everything. And when you narrow that, you narrow your competition. And when you narrow your competition, you can get really targeted and specific. And if you can break out each communication channel that way, me speaking to my grandmother is different than me speaking to my nephew is different than me with my kids, is different than me with my wife. Let's go back to that versions of us. So get that way with your business and with your marketing, even with your social media, with everything that you're doing. You may be spending a lot of time and money on TikTok because you think you need to. And you may realize that 0% of your business will ever come from TikTok. And it doesn't really matter if you're on TikTok. So why are you wasting a lot of time and money on that when you should be on LinkedIn? Or another example, we had a client who sells million pound plus consultant like consultant deals like the people will pay them more than a million dollars to come in and do infrastructure consulting for them in a very specific niche and they're looking at email campaigns and, and automated marketing and sms and which platforms should be on and youtube and ppc and all these things and i go how many people in the uk are your targets and they're like 600 <laughs> what there's only 600 people in the entire uk who you could be your customer but keep but remember like uh, Lifetime value of a customer, right? The the initial contract's a million pounds. Lifetime value is like 12 million pounds they can expect out of a single customer and there's 600 people. So I was like, first of all, don't do email. 
Don't do social advertising. Don't do any of that stuff. Where do these people get together? Like, do they ever just all get together in one room? And if they do, you better own that room, right? Like, it doesn't matter if it costs you 100 pounds or 100,000 pounds or 200,000 pounds or a million pounds in sponsorship. It doesn't matter. If, if every single person you want to target who could be worth 12 million pounds to you for each person is on a boat, that boat better be named after you, right? Like, do you know what I mean? Well, Don't the seagulls do must carry, yeah, get the seagulls yeah. to carry a banner with your name on the back, right? So Anything. Like... Send a plane by with a banner. Like, <laughs> it, like, it doesn't matter. But every other tactic is pretty silly and useless compared to just sponsoring the event, getting the list, getting your time to speak, having some salespeople be there, wine and dine people, enter into relationships. If it takes you 18 months to close the deal, cool. Right. So like, this is what we do. And this is what, like, I don't understand how you run a business without getting as focused as I'm telling people to get. Yeah. Oh, no, great advice. And what, one final question for me on that, Mark, is there are some types of services or products are more suited, I think, to social media and these sort of platforms. But with coaching, is that the case? Because I often hear people say, well, I wouldn't just choose a coach based on what I see on social media. I would want to know for sure that that person is credible and maybe that's through word of mouth. Yeah, for sure. So, so if you're taking something like coaching, we have, to think about, we have to think about the prospect journey. So this is something that we help clients with as well. When I talked about the 600 people in the UK as their target, that's because we actually broke down the prospect journey and we said, okay, so how can people find you? And more important than how do they find you, like every time someone focuses on like, this is what my customers say, and this is what they like about me, and this is what they do. You're only, it's like super confirmation bias. You're only actually exposing your own thinking to the people who already pick you. That's great. Let's get more people to pick you. So how should people find you? And once they find you, right? So, so now they know who you are. The next step is how do we get them to value what you offer more? And once they value what you offer, how do we get them to pick you over someone else who also does what you do? And then once they pick you, how do we onboard them in a way that avoids a buyer's regret? And then once we've avoided that, how do we deliver an amazing service? And then how do we either retain them, upsell them, or encourage them to talk about us to other people and refer people in? Now, that's a pretty simple buyer's journey. It's a pretty simple funnel I just laid out for you. But if you're a coach, you have to think about these types of things. So, so how will people find me? Well, maybe I'll do collaborations with other people. Maybe I'll go on their podcasts. Maybe I'll just buy ads and get them to hit my landing page. And then I'm going to retarget them with other messages. Maybe I'm going to free downloads, right? So there's a whole bunch of like awareness strategies and you can try a bunch of them. But I would treat those awareness strategies just like any other product or service brand, right? Because you're going to do something to get more people to know who you are. And then the next step is value what you offer, right? When we started my agency, it was just 100% focused on video. In 2006, video was shot on tape. The YouTube was not bought by Google yet. Facebook had just launched. Twitter did not exist. We used to have to upload stuff. Tiny little windows because there wasn't even broadband everywhere. We used to have to worry about dial-up. So video used to be pretty bad. But first, I had to make sure that I, that I convinced people that video was worth the investment or I had to talk to people who already wanted a video. 
And then after that, I could actually pitch my services that I'm better than everyone else. But a lot of times people come in trying to say like, I'm better, I'm awesome. And we haven't even sold them that there's a need yet. So if you're a coach, I would suggest that either you produce content that shows you coaching other people, that has a lot of social, social proof, so like testimonials or third-party credibility, um, a lot of stuff that speaks to the outcome. Maybe you're going to be blogging if you're a writer. Maybe you're going to be doing video how-tos if you're really comfortable and great on video. You're going you're gonna to do something that once they are aware of you, you then need to make sure that you are selling the outcome, the outcome, and you're building that up in their mind. And then from there, the next step will be sell them that you're better than everyone else. And this is where what we do with credibility hacking really comes in really strong. Again, if you know what you want more clients or leads or sales or revenue or profitability, whatever, and you know what your targets want, then at this point in the process, like me coming on your podcast, for anyone who's listening, I have credibility simply because I'm a guest. If you were running a live event and I was on your stage, I would have credibility simply because I'm on stage. Mm. If you had... 10 million downloads a month on your podcast for those people above us, you'd have tons of credibility simply because you have the downloads. So what we're looking for then is what is that metric or what is that thing that we can do to boost that perceived credibility like overnight? For some people, they think it's like an accreditation. I'm a certified coach. Most people don't care about that, right? So, so how can people know you? How can they trust you? How can they come to understand you? How can they come to like you? The easiest way to do that is to actually just share more of you doing your work. Now, people are super uncomfortable with that, but start recording your coaching sessions. Start releasing them with, with the consent of whomever you're coaching or get, start doing story breakdowns, right? People came to me with this and then they did this. And often what we're doing with people is like, like if you came to my corporate website or our website and you wanted to see that we worked with the NBA and the Toronto Raptors the year they won the championship and produced a television commercial campaign for the year. If you went and watched that 30-second spot or you looked at the digital designs and stuff like that, you're like, okay, they did it. But it doesn't share the story behind it. And so what we often do is we take projects or the work that we're most excited about and love, and rather than just say, ta-da, here's what we did, right? Like we boosted sales. We launched this campaign. We rebranded this company. That's like, that's the what we did. But the story behind it's so much cooler. It's so much more interesting. So we will actually not like get our clients to talk on camera about us. I will actually do what we call like Fanta stories. We'll, we'll actually, we'll actually record me talking about what happened behind the scenes and then use footage or proof points from that stuff because the story, frankly, is way more interesting than the outcome itself. We're all storytellers. We all love listening to stories. That's why we love movies. That's why we love books. And so for that coach, I would just consult. I would want you to work through those few things. And then after that, it's just close them and deliver and do all of those other things. Oh, thank you so much, Mark. And I know we're out of time. We're actually over time. So I do thank you for stopping by and continuing the conversation. So Mark, if people want to get in touch with you or want to find out more about the great work that you're doing, how do they do that? And what are some of the URLs they can go to? The best thing to do, if you want to connect with me personally, head over to Instagram, find me at Mark Drager. I'm the guy with the little head with the little yellow background. Send me a DM. So it's really me there. Send me a DM. I would love to hear a takeaway that you had, or if you have any questions, I am more than happy to answer those. I have also a download that I can offer for your audience. It's not part of my funnel. It's, um, there's no way on my website even to publicly get it. <laughs> Maybe I should do that. 
But we have this 60-page guide called the Badass Branding Playbook. And it actually breaks down in, some might say excruciating detail, but it actually breaks down every single step of what I described of how to be able to build a personal brand, how we do our market research, the tools that we use to do it. It is actually the SOP for my team. It's the standard operating procedure for my team. We've gone ahead and dropped it into a document. So if you head over to Instagram and just say, I want the badass playbook or I want that branding playbook, just help me figure out what you want and remind me of this podcast. I will, I will send it to you personally. Oh, wow. So people just go along to Instagram, they send you a DM asking for just this. DM me. There's no download. bot. There's not part of, again, part of a funnel or anything like that yet. I, I, I just thought of this. I should definitely build that out. But for now, ask for it and I will send it to you. I will share it with you for free. Oh, fantastic. Thank you so much, Mark. That's great. And I'll include some of those links or even your handle for your Instagram on the show notes of this episode. So once again, thank you, my friend. There you have it, folks. It's the end of another insightful episode. And as always, thank you so much for sticking around to listen to this episode and for helping support me and encouraging me to create more content for you guys. If you'd like to get in touch with me directly, you'll find my email address in the show notes or equally head over to the website and click on the contact link. And I promise I will respond to every single message I receive. I'm always looking for your feedback. So if you'd like me to change things up or improve things, I would love your opinions. If there are topics that you'd like us to do future episodes on, or there are other great speakers that you are aware of, then please do mention them and uh, we'll see if we can make it happen. Thank you once again. 